Hey guys, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the leaders here at Trinity Life. And uh, we're in this series called Embracing Exile. That sermon bumper that you just saw, uh, Jonathan worked on that and it looked amazing. And we're in the book of First Peter. And what this book is trying to show us is that our citizenship is in heaven and our allegiance is to King Jesus. He is sending us into the world to be ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors of truth, and to usher in the kingdom of his goodness and love. But the problem is, we've given our allegiance to something else. The place in your heart that only Jesus is supposed to rule and reign, something else is sitting on that throne. In the deepest part of your own heart, you're saying, if I just have this one thing, I'll be happy. I'll have meaning in life. For you, your allegiance might be to the king of beauty. For others, it might be to the king of money or success. And what we need to do as a church is shift from complicit, living in darkness, living in the ways of the world, to commission, living out the calling and mission God has given us to usher in his peace and his goodness. For a lot of us during the pandemic, it hasn't pushed us towards the peace and comfort and commission of Jesus. It's actually pushed us more towards the allegiance of darkness. Those idols that were sitting at our heart, they've been exasperated by the pandemic. Beauty sales have gone up. Pornography viewership has gone up. Netflix had over 16 million new signups in the past year alone. In other words, the pandemic has multiplied your darkness and your allegiance to the world. It's pushed you away from the mission of Jesus. And as a church, if we are complicit in the ways of the world, how will, be, how will people be attracted to the church? How will they see anything different? And the reason why the church has so little influence on the world is because the world has so much influence on the church. And so my prayer today as we jump into this passage, that the Lord would soften and change your heart and have that shift from complicit to commission. So if you guys have your Bibles there, feel free to follow along, to read along. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, and then we'll be going to chapter 4, verse 6. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Guys, suffering here is the main theme. If we ever want to be everything that God has called us to be, ministers of reconciliation, ambassador of the truth, the light of Jesus, we have to start with the suffering of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the righteous, died for the unrighteous, which is us, so that he might bring us back into the everlasting arms of God, our Father. And because of that, we are made alive in the Spirit. The old is gone, the new has come. We were once in darkness, complicit in the ways of the world, but God has made a way for us to live as light in his new world that he's creating. 
A few months ago, I was uh, driving down uh, the road. I was going grocery shopping and uh, there was a car in front of me and we were at a red light and uh, I see the dog in the back. So it's a lady driver in the front and there's a dog in the back and it's, you know, it's head sticking out the window and it's, you know, it's enjoying the breeze. And I noticed that the window is a little, is a little too low. And so I didn't think much of it. So I'm following the car and we make a right turn and this dog jumps out of the window, but its collar is stuck inside. So the lady's driving uh, about maybe 30, 40 kilometers an hour, and the dog is hanging out in the back. And people are trying to stop her. People are honking their horns. One person, as she's driving straight, this other person comes and literally tries to stop her, and she goes right around it, and she ignores all these warning signs that are there that the dog is in the back, and could possibly die. But finally, after all this honking, after people trying to stop her, one passenger or one driver is finally able to, to stop her, pull her over, they're able to grab her dog, her dog's okay, and they embrace, like they hug, and, and, and she's just so happy that, uh, that she was able to, that this person helped her and saved her dog. And for a lot of us, we've been distracted by something else in the world. I mean, our faith has been sitting in the back seat. For a lot of us, our faith is hanging by a thread. It's out of the window. We have fixed our eyes on something else besides Jesus. Somewhere down the line, we've forgotten the suffering Savior of Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross. He died for you. He died for me. He left his home to come and die for us so that we can be reconciled back to the Father and be ministers of reconciliation in our city and in the world. And for a lot of you, the, the warning signs have been there. God has sent people your way, honking their horns, saying, hey, I don't know if you should be dating that person. Or hey, your kids might be an idol. When you were single or when you were dating, you were on fire for Jesus. You're willing to give up everything. But now that you have kids, you haven't, you, you, you've kind of retracted, right? Like that fire has gone out. Or maybe people have been honking their horns or telling you that job that you're working out. I, I don't know if that's the best place that you should be in. What is distracting you today from remembering how much Jesus suffered for you? What do you need to put to death so that you can be made alive in the spirit? As Peter says, it's not a question of, is there something there? The question is better put, what is sitting there? Only until you bring those things to the Lord every single day, will you be able to live a life fully commissioned out for the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's dying to yourself every day, dying to your comfort, dying to your worldly pleasures. Why? Because Christ died for us and now we've moved from darkness to light. And then Peter says in verse 19, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, verse 20, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through water. So we'll pause right there. And there are different, there, there are many different interpretations of this passage. Some say Jesus was speaking to demons. Some say Jesus was speaking to people. But we really aren't sure. 
And I don't want us to get kind of bogged down or distracted by that. What I want our focus to be and what I think Peter wants us to focus on here is that God is patient. It says here, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being made. And what I do know about God, that he is patient. Although, although during the time uh, when Noah was building the ark, people were living in drunkenness. They were living in all kinds of sensuality. They were living for themselves. They were living for darkness. And God was giving them a chance through Noah for them to repent and turn from their ways. But they didn't want God. Their allegiance was to something else that was bringing them temporary satisfaction or comfort. What I've learned in my, what I've learned in my personal walk with Jesus is that he is patient. Jesus was patient when Judas betrayed him. Jesus was patient when his friends fell asleep on him. Jesus was patient when his family and friends abandoned him. Jesus was patient even to the point of death when his enemies were killing him. He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. We've all put Jesus on the cross because of our sins, but he still says every day, I love you. I forgive you. I'm going to keep pursuing you, even if it means giving up my own life. And he did. This is the amazing grace of God. Romans 2, 4 says his kindness is intended for you to turn away from your sin. It's intended for you to repent. Whatever has a hold on your heart, Jesus is so much better. All other kings will say, live for me, die for me. But Jesus is the only king that says, I've come to live for you and to come and die for you. Then Peter says in verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the, from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Christ. And so Peter here cleverly connects water and salvation during Noah's time with baptism. Water washed away sin and wickedness during Noah's time. And baptism today is an outward expression that we are alive in Christ. And this is only by having faith in Jesus Christ and his resurrection, as Peter says here. Then he goes on to say, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Peter here is affirming Jesus's victory and triumph over sin and death. And he is now seated at the right hand of God and angels and authorities and powers are all subjected to him. Revelation tells us that there's going to be a hundred million angels worshiping Jesus along with other believers who'll be singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. Guys, if you are a follower of Jesus, there will be victory. And not just the final victory in the future, but we get to experience this victory right now. Follower of Jesus, leader in the church. And have you suffered for Jesus? Have you been persecuted for your faith? Have you been hurt by people? 
have people slandered or even talked behind your back? Jesus says, you are my child. I will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more pain. And then he says, behold, I am making everything new. So be patient, keep persevering, keep going, keep showing grace, keep running the race, keep fighting the good fight of faith, and you will receive the crown of life. Then Peter says, Since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So what is Peter saying here? He's saying with the same commitment and allegiance to God that Jesus had in his suffering, have the same zeal and commitment to his mission. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, the scriptures don't promise a healthy, uh, a life full of health, wealth, and prosperity. It actually guarantees that you will suffer. You'll have to give up things. You'll go through things. You might have to leave that job. You might have to break up with that person. You might have to move to a different country to live on mission for Jesus. And Peter says that as you pursue Jesus with that kind of focus, with that kind of intention, uh, intentionality, with that kind of uh, energy, you won't have time to sin. I mean, at the very least, you'll sin less. Think about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness after his baptism. He was so focused on the kingdom that he didn't give in to the lies and temptation of the enemy. Have that kind of focus as you pursue Jesus and his kingdom. Then Peter says, So as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Peter is saying, shift your heart from living in complicit in the ways of the world, sensuality, passion, drunkenness, orgies, parties, all that stuff, to living to commission, living out the will of God. Peter says earlier in chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness but into marvelous light. This is the great commission. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, teaching them everything that I've commanded you. Guys, do you want to see people receive hope and healing? Do you want to make a difference in our city and in the world? Do you want to point people to the love of the Father? This is what our, our three groups are for. We want followers of Jesus who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. To do this, we emphasize three rhythms, which is why we call it R3. Your rhythm up, we learn to hear God together. Your rhythm in, we share life together. 
and then your rhythm out, living on mission, proclaiming the excellencies, ushering in the kingdom, loving those around you, bringing hope and peace in our city and into the world. Since I've been at Trinity Life the past three years and and a little bit, I've heard more stories in this pandemic in the past year and a little bit of victory, of joy, of peace, of people taking bold steps of faith with our R3 groups than I have my whole time at this church. During the pandemic where things are closing down or have been closing down, the Lord is opening doors of healing and hope. Where people have been isolated and lonely, God has been bringing hope and comfort to them. Where people are struggling financially, emotionally, mentally, God is bringing healing. And this is all because our church isn't focused on seating capacity, come to this Sunday gathering, but our church is focused on sending capacity, go and make disciples. Either you are a sold-out follower of Jesus, living on a mission for him, making disciples, or you are just a religious person who gathers with other people on a Sunday. And so which one are you today? You complicit or you living on commission for Jesus? Are you living for the world? Are you living for our Savior? One pastor says, Most people won't sacrifice for the mission of God because they don't feel deep within their souls that the mission is really worth sacrificing for. And so for you, if there hasn't been any movement, if there's no desire to serve, maybe R3s isn't the issue for you. Maybe our church's mission uh, or, or our method isn't the issue for you. The problem might lay in your own heart. And so instead of looking out and saying, I don't like that, or I don't like how they're doing things there, or I don't like the name of this, ask yourself what needs to change in your own heart. And it's a hard shift, right? Where you're used to going to services every single week and you're consuming and you're taking And then now you're asking asking to sacrifice and live on mission for Jesus. And guys, I'm preaching to myself here as well. I grew up in a church culture for probably over 15 years maybe of just coming and taking and consuming. Sunday gathering after Sunday gathering after Sunday gathering. And those things aren't bad, right? We have that Sunday gathering, but there's always been a piece missing, Right? Where we're living out, right? That rhythm out, living on mission for Jesus. Do you want to live in a world that is temporary and fleeting? It's here one day and it's gone tomorrow. Or do you want to make an eternal impact in people's lives where you'll find more joy, more satisfaction? Because you're being what God created you to be, a disciple maker, ambassador of truth, a minister of reconciliation. Then Peter moves on and he says, with respects to this, 
They are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Again here, there are different interpretations here of who the living, of who the dead are. And some people say this comes out of uh, Ephesians 2 where these are spiritually alive people, these are spiritually dead people. Some say that, yeah, so there's just different kind of interpretations here. And what, what I don't want, want us to do is, I don't want us to get distracted by this because what, what Peter is trying to show us here is that the main point is that as followers of Jesus, he wants us to live in the spirit in the way that God does. That they might live in the spirit the way that God does. And so how do we do that? I did mention a few things generally, but here are three practical ways that you can live on mission for Jesus. Number one, give to the global gift. There are people right now in the Holy Land that have no source of income. They're struggling to even support their families. A few of the leaders have uh, have been there a couple of times. We've met these people personally, and they're just struggling. Uh, they're struggling right now, and they just need our help. That's one way that you can live on mission for Jesus is our global gift. If you want more information, you can talk to, uh, you can find information online or you can talk to your, your, your R3 leaders about that. Number two, invite non-Christians into something that you like doing. Don't have to come up with brand new things to do. So if you like going for runs, if you like exercising, if you like to cook, Invite non-Christians into that. And as they share about their life, you get to share about your life in Jesus. It's actually just as simple as that. Number three, or the third way that you can live in this spirit in the way that God does, is join an R3 group. This is where you'll be personally discipled by somebody who will teach you to hear and obey God so that you can learn to live on mission for Jesus and usher in his kingdom and make disciples. Jesus is the only king that promises if your allegiance is to him, you will find fulfillment, you will find joy, while all other kings of this earth will leave you empty and unsatisfied. Jesus is the only king who leaves heaven and comes and dies for you and me. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is how committed Jesus was for us. And so my prayer and hope is that we move from complicit, the ways of the world, to commission, living out as disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word that is true, that is perfect, that is urging us and, and pushing us and exhorting us to live for you. And there are broken and hurting people all across our city, people that live on our the same apartment, on the same floor, our neighbors that live next to us in our houses, people in the park, 
people in that restaurant, that Tim Hortons that we go to. There's lost and broken people everywhere. And you're calling us to be ministers of reconciliation. And so God, if there's things that are sitting in our heart, I pray that we would bring those to you, that we would surrender those things that we are in allegiance to so that we can live for you in the abundant life, in the fullness that you want us to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.